We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 16 because they go together in context. And then uh, we're just going to look at verse 13 this morning. Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and give it, uh, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're at a point in the Beatitudes where we're going to learn that a person who lives in the world and lives out the Beatitudes that Jesus taught will affect the world for God and for good. That effect is illustrated. He says here, first of all, that you will be like salt and you will be like light. As we'll see, the world needs salt as a preservative because it is corrupt and the world needs light because it is dark and darkening. How do we know the world is corrupt? Because when Jesus compares you and I to salt, he's also saying something about the world. If he's saying you're the salt of the world, uh, then the world needs you. And the, the primary thing that salt was used for in those days, the, the good thing it was used for, was to preserve foods. We'll see some other uses and uh, indications of salt, but it was a preservative. A piece of meat was rubbed with salt. It would kill the surface germs and preserve it in an age before there were thermos coolers uh, and such. So, and, and by the way, can you even imagine living back then? I mean, yeah, I mean, boy, weird stuff. The world is corrupt and can only get worse. We should remind ourselves of that from time to time. Uh, I think there's a general feeling, a hope among people who aren't Christians that the world can get better and better, that people can get better and better, but apart from Christ, that's not going to happen. Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3.13, and I quote, he says, "...evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." Romans chapter 1 talks about the downward spiral. Having given up on God, uh, men open themselves up to all manner of wickedness and perversion. And so the world, apart from the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, is only going to get worse. And so let's talk about salt. As I said, we'll talk about light next time. Salt has always been valuable. It was once used as currency. You got paid in salt. Roman soldiers could be paid in salt, and that's where we first got the expression that we still use today, that you're either worth your weight in salt or not worth your salt. Usually we talk about somebody being not worth their salt, and, and that's never made any sense to me uh, at all. I wonder, have you ever how many of these expressions that people use, and, and they, they have no idea what they're talking about, but uh, not being worth your salt means you shouldn't be paid because they used to pay you in salt, uh, because salt was a tradable commodity. Uh, the Greeks at one point in their history, I'm told, called salt theon, or theon, which is a word for divine. And the Jews knew that God had prescribed all sacrifice, uh, sacrificial offerings in Israel were to be offered with salt. In Leviticus 2.13 you read, So that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking. And so the Roman, the Greek, and the Jew that... That was the audience, really, that Jesus was among in the world of the first century. 
all of them held salt in much higher regard than we might. Uh, I mean, I, I put salt on my food, and probably some of you do, and maybe you don't, you know, but uh, uh, I don't know that we really consider salt one of the great commodities uh, of our lives. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's probably not up there with some of the stuff that, that we collect and save and all that, you know. Uh, but the, the world of, uh, of Jesus' day, they did. And when he compared believers to salt, it would have been understood by his hearers as something of extreme value. And so right off the bat, he's saying, you're the salt of the world. And so that's good. Now, salt and its properties can suggest different things. Before we talk about it being a preservative, there are some other suggestions. Obviously, if you just think about it for a while, uh, you can come up with these on your own. Salt is white. Uh, and thus it can speak of purity. White uh, throughout the scripture is a, a picture of purity. Uh, we're going to you know, be dressed in white garments. Uh, we talk about being white as snow, those kinds of things. And we've read in the Beatitudes about being pure at heart. And so uh, from that point of view, comparing a believer to salt, we have the idea that we're to represent a high standard of purity to the world. And, and so that's a, a valid application. Uh, obviously, salt adds flavor. A lot of, you know, we, we put salt on our foods now mostly to flavor them. Uh, and thus it can speak of believers giving the world a savor it would not otherwise have. Uh, and um, if you meditate on that for a while, some of the conclusions, one of the conclusions you come to is that uh, we ought to portray Christianity in an attractive way. Uh, you know, the way a person who likes salt puts salt on their meat because it's just not quite done unless they have that little bit of flavoring. Uh, people ought to look at Christians and, and there should be a draw there. There should be a savor there. There, there should be something that uh, is, is uh, interesting to them. And so often, uh, and it's not always our fault, but I think often the world just thinks of Christians as people who are, are sad all the time, bummed out, don't do anything, can't do anything. Uh, everything is no, uh, you know, with, with Christians. And you don't, nobody wants to become a Christian because of everything they have to give up. And, uh, you know, the, we're not doing a good job at that point of talking about what we gain uh, in, in terms of being Christians. And so we, we want to add flavor to our world. Salt creates thirst. Uh, all you have to do is eat a few slices of Boston pizza, and you'll find this out. I think they, I love it, but I think they use a little bit too much salt in their uh, recipe. And I mean, you're up. I'm up all night drinking after I, I eat their pizza. I mean, I just can't get enough water in me after eating uh, their pizza. And uh, salt, uh, as good as it is for flavor, it does create thirst. And again, along that same lines. Our lives ought to increase a thirst for God and unbelievers. They ought to be able to see in us something more satisfying than anything they've experienced in the world. People are out looking for a way to satisfy themselves, to find satisfaction, to, to feel as though they're fulfilled and full and that their lives have purpose. And, and we are those people. Uh, as God is perfecting us, he has begun a good work in us and has promised that he will complete it. And so we should create a thirst when we're around people. And because salt stings when placed into an open wound, some say it represents the pricking of conscience of unbelievers as we uh, represent the Lord to them. Uh, and certainly this is true as well. 
uh, you know, if you're in a situation that uh, where the conversation turns to something unsavory, uh, and you, that, did you like that? Huh? I brought that whole like food metaphor in. Uh, yeah, full circle. I should just quit while I'm ahead. Conversation turns to something unsavory, and you walk away, say something, whatever it is. There's a pricking of conscience. Don't spice it up, yeah. So it's not that those things aren't funny. It's that they shouldn't be funny uh, And uh, it, from the point of view of, of a Christian. And so, you know, we do promote God's standards of righteousness by our presence. However, I believe the primary characteristic Jesus seems to be emphasizing is preservation. When God was going to destroy Sodom, he said that he would spare it for the sake of ten righteous. I was just reading that in our read through the Bible stuff, you know, that, uh, that, that we're doing. And it, we were going through Genesis this month and, and uh, Abraham and his boldness just bartering with God about, would you spare the city for so many? And he gets down to 10. And if I'm not mistaken, I think 10 was the number uh, of family members, you know, between Lot, his wife and his daughters and his son-in-laws and, the, and daughter. You come up with 10 people. Uh, and so Abraham was hoping that they would spare, uh, not so much spare the city, because I'm sure he understood it needed judgment, but spare all of his relatives. Uh, and yet, as you find out, really Lot was the only one who was willing to leave at all, and he was somewhat unwilling. I uh, had to be drug out by the angel and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And so, but it's interesting because their presence in Sodom the presence of those ten people would have preserved it from judgment. That's basically the picture that you get. Our corrupt world needs salt. I have to share this with you because I was just absolutely mind-blown by this. Uh, have you heard of Blu-ray discs? How many of you under, know what a Blu-ray disc is? It's the latest great technology that's coming on the scene uh, it's either it's either Blu-ray discs or high-definition DVDs. Those are the two technologies that have been developed to replace the DVD. And just like Beta and VHS in the 80s, there's a war going on to figure out which it's going to be. And I can tell you right now it's going to be Blu-ray discs, and I'll tell you why, and this is going to blow your mind. I was reading this in Macworld. Uh, it's an article from earlier this year, Macworld magazine, which, for those of you who don't know, Macintosh, Apple computers, you know, not Big Mac, but... Okay, so here's the... It's, a, it's not lengthy, but I, I'm going to start reading, and, and, and just this is just a mind-blower. Okay, Macworld, May 2nd, 2006. Remember, our topic is the corruption of our world. Just as in the 1980s, when the Betamax and the VHS video formats were battling it out for supremacy, the pornography industry will likely play a big role in determining which of the two blue laser DVD formats, Blu-ray disc and HD DVDs, will be the winner in the battle to replace DVDs for high-definition content. Ron Wagner, director of IT operations at E! Entertainment Television Incorporated in Los Angeles, said his company has already chosen the Blu-ray disc format in large part because of talk in the porn industry favoring it over HD DVDs. And then there's this quote. If you look at the VHS versus beta standards, you see the much higher quality standard dying because the porn industry support of VHS. The mass volume of tapes in the porn market at that time went out on VHS. 
And so, uh, little known facts of life. Uh, the, the reason that, you know, if you, you ever, you ever wonder, I remember those days, you know, I thought the beta was going to make it. In fact, I remember a guy here in town who had all this beta stuff and then all of a sudden everything was on VHS. It's because the pornography industry, which is a, I don't know, an umpteen billion dollar a year business, decided they were going to use VHS tapes. And so it killed beta. And they've decided they're going to use Blu-ray discs, it seems, and so it will kill HD DVDs. So any thought that our society is getting better or isn't corrupt, uh, just out the window. Now, even though things are getting worse and worse, they would be and will be far worse once Christians are removed in the rapture. Uh, you know, even, I mean, we're, we're, we're on a downward spiral, there's no doubt about it, but it would be just awful and will be just awful when there are no Christians. Uh, well, when there will be Christians at, at, a, at a point in time, but when there is no church left on the earth. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, it meant you are the only salt. And that's true of light as well. It's in a tense of you are the only salt. There, there are no other groups that qualify, no other religions, no other good people, no other moral people. You are the, the world's only salt. The very people who therefore revile and persecute you, you are its only hope. And so it's an interesting contrast. The you is plural, and so he's speaking, of course, of us individually, but of the whole body of Christ in our effect on the whole earth. The word are, as in you are the salt, stresses being rather than doing. Jesus isn't really telling you to do something. He's telling you to be someone. And in the context, you're to be the person who is described by the Beatitudes. And when you are, you affect your spoiled surroundings the way salt acts on foods. So it's not, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just who you are. And then he says, if the salt loses its flavor, here's an old account I ran across in one of the commentaries. Quote, this is possible in the land of Judea, and we have proof from uh, Mr. Mondrell, who described the Valley of Salt, said this. Along one side of the valley toward Gibul, there is a small precipice about two men's length, occasioned by the continual taking away of the salt. And in this you may see how the veins of it lie. I broke a piece of it, of which that part was exposed to rain, sun, and air, though it had the sparks and particles of salt. Yet it had perfectly lost its savor. The inner part, which was connected to the rock, retained its savor, as I found. And so it's a, just an illustration that Jesus is using. In this case, the even though there were veins of salt, the exposure to the elements uh, maintain is what ruined the saltiness. That which was closer to the rock, that was hidden, as it were, underground, retained its saltiness. And so, uh, thus we retain or lose our flavor as the world's spiritual salt, depending on what we're exposed to and how close we are to the rock. And then he says, how shall it be seasoned? Saltiness cannot be restored to salt that has lost its saltiness. Uh, you don't try to save it. If you had a handful of salt that didn't taste salty, you wouldn't add more salt to it to save it and have a bunch of salt. You, know, you would just get rid of it and, and get good salt. Uh, but you do use it for something else. He says it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
So salt that has lost its saltiness was used in their day to prevent slipping on paths. Uh, we still use salt today when on icy roads. Uh, you know, the truck will come through and drop salt to, to give traction. Uh, and so what Jesus is saying, it's useful, but not as it was intended. When a believer is too mixed up in the world, he doesn't lose his salvation just his influence and effectiveness. You still, in a sense, keep slippage down by your very presence. I mean, you know, you're still in the world. But who wants to be like Lot in Sodom? And this brings us back to Lot. The Bible says Lot was a righteous man. There's a lot of confusion until you get to the New Testament about Lot. You know, it's, you, you can't even see at what basis he would be saved because of his decisions and, and things and his heart and his desires. Even after he's drug out of Sodom, he doesn't want to go and do what God tells him to do. He says, please, let me go to another city. Uh, you know, he, he just loves city life and being around these sinners. But when you get to the New Testament, it says his righteous soul was vexed uh, in that place. And so we understand that he was a believer, but too mixed up in the world. And so he kept slippage down. He kept Sodom from being destroyed earlier by his presence there, but he didn't do a lot for it in the long run because when he finally went and told even his own family that judgment was coming, they laughed at him and scorned him and refused to believe him. Uh, his testimony, we would say, was trampled underfoot, basically. He, he, everyone knew he was living half-hearted, a compromised life. Uh, you know, All you had to do was look at him and know that he was related to Abraham, and see that there was a higher way of living, a different way of living. Uh, and, and, and people understood that. What about Mrs. Lot? Well, you remember she looked back and was rained on by fire and brimstone and turned into a solid pillar of salt. And I think it ties into this idea of the salt of the earth. She was a monument to the decision of the heart to long after the things of the world even while its citizens were perishing. And so she, she was salt in a sense and ought to have been salt, but it was useless. Uh, you know, she was a pillar of salt as a testimony to the fact that she had gotten too caught up in the world uh, and, and uh, didn't want to leave it. And so the lesson for us this morning is to go out and spice it up. Uh, be, don't just do. God bless you. Have a good day.